1944, Pablo Picasso said, one must have the courage of one's vocation and the courage to make a living from one's vocation. In this podcast, we talk to artists, authors, and entrepreneurs about the steps they took to find the very courage Picasso was talking about. This isn't another podcast of type A people talking to other type A people about how great it is to wake up at four o'clock in the morning. It's a podcast where I, in my radio voice, talk to relatively normal people about stuff that other relatively normal people might care about. I'm Dallas Browning, and you're listening to The Art of Vocation. Welcome to episode five of The Art of Vocation podcast. In this episode, we'll talk with Jake Ullman, director and producer of the feature film Learning to See. The documentary film tells the story of his father, Robert Ullman, who spent the last 10 years of his life scouring the rainforest of the Amazon, photographing and discovering rare insect species. It's pretty amazing. The film premiered this year at the South by Southwest Film Festival. In 2011, Jake directed and produced a concert documentary about the annual Electric Daisy Carnival, the largest electronic music festival in North America. And in 2012, Jake directed and produced the feature romantic comedy film Dear Sidewalk, starring Joe Mazzello and Michelle Forbes, which premiered at the Austin Film Festival and is currently available on iTunes, Amazon, and Hulu. Jake's story is an inspiring reminder that following your dreams and living your vocation is possible, is worth it, but is never easy. Now, the audio in this episode is a little rough, given this is the podcast's first phone interview, but I think you'll find that the content more than makes up for it. Now, on to Jake. All right, I have on the line Jake Ullman. Jake, hello. Welcome to Art of Vocation. Hi, Dallas. How are you? I'm I'm great. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Um, So... Just as a little bit of introduction uh, to the audience, Jake is the director of the uh, independent documentary Learning to See that premiered this year at South by Southwest. Um, And uh, so we're going to talk a little bit to Jake uh, about his background, how he got into filmmaking, all of that. Um, And so, so actually, Jake, let's let's dive in. The documentary. Let's talk a little bit about the documentary first, and then then we'll backtrack a little bit. Um, The documentary is about. Well, it follows uh, world-renowned photographer of insects that also happens to be your father. Yes. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. <laughs> so uh, tell us a little bit more about the, the, the documentary and, and how, how that got started. Um, well, let's see. My, my, my dad had moved to uh, Columbia, South America about, oh, wow, it's, it's been about 23 years now. And when he moved there, I was always kind of fascinated by the idea of somebody uh, who can go about, you know, completely changing their life. And when I say completely, it's, you know, he moved to a country where he didn't have any friends, he didn't speak the language, um, and 
you know, sort of reinvented his life. So that was sort of the uh, the, the nucleus of an idea to, um, you know, make a film about him. And the film really evolved over time. Originally, I thought it was going to be a short subject documentary that maybe I would be the narrator and I would be telling, like, funny anecdotal stories about him and that kind of thing. But as the idea sort of progressed and as his uh, foray into photography progressed, um, the film just took on a much larger scope. So I originally started it about, you know, about, you know, eight or ten years ago, and I was kind of, you know, picking away at it, going on trips, and he had started uh, photographing insects about ten years ago, so when he did that, I, I never thought that that was necessarily going to be the focus of the film, but... So, you so know, originally the focus of the film was, was going to be just about your, your dad and his life and, and this decision? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was he was taking photos. Um, you know, he was taking photos. For, you know, pretty early on from when he moved to Columbia. But yeah, it was more about the fact that he had changed his life. I mean, I was really, you know, I think film deals predominant, or not predominantly, but film often deals with people going through change and having, you know, you know, crises and and big decisions that they have to make mm -hmm. in order to, you know, sort of progress. And so. That was where that was where my um, where my interest really lied. But then, as I started actually shooting it, and he was getting so involved in photographing insects, the focus of the film naturally gravitated towards what his focus was. And and so let's talk a little bit about your dad for just a second. Um, he was a psychologist, is that right? Yeah, he was a psycho. He was Before? a psychotherapist. Yeah, he was a psychotherapist. He had his own practice in Boston. Um, you know, in the in the 80s, and then by the early 90s, he decided to um, you know basically stop doing that, and that's when he moved to South America. <laughs> that's a pretty big decision. And at that yeah. time, he didn't know he was going to do photography or anything. He he just no, yeah, he had no idea. He had no idea. So it was kind of I think that at, when he moved there, and Colombia is a very beautiful country, and you know he, um, I think he was just sort of gravitating towards the natural beauty, and mm -hmm. that's you know that's what got him into photography, and that's ultimately what uh, what kept him there. Wasn't Colombia? A scary place back in the 90s. I, I seem to remember thinking, oh, Colombia is where the drug lords are, and yeah, they don't welcome he, Americans. Yeah, and he moved to and he moved to Cali. So Cali is renowned for the Cali cartel. So mm -hmm. uh, you know, when he moved there, that is kind of like the height of Pablo Escobar. So wow. you know, pa Pablo really had like a lot of control over the country at that time, and. You know, it's it's funny because I, you know, I grew up snowboarding and, you know, for, you know, and skateboarding and sort of these these sports that, you know, back then were, you know, definitely kind of, you know, frowned upon or they were outside the mainstream of society, that kind of thing. And, you know, people look at you as more of like a risk taker or, you know, off the beaten path. So when he decided to do this, I was probably one of the few people in the family that thought, like, oh, that's cool, you know, like, he's doing something <laughs> yeah. cool. Like, he's going on this, he's going on this, like, South American adventure, like, oh, how awesome, like, my dad's pretty cool. <laughs> right. Um, so, so I, it didn't really raise eyebrows with me, per se, but mm -hmm. uh, definitely with, with other members of the family, and then, 
you know, through through doing the process of the film, and I'm going back and kind of like, you know, looking at archival stuff, like, wow, yeah, that was pretty, that's pretty wild. You know, he, you know, he's a one of very few Americans living down there at that time. So, you know, to go about doing what he did, um, I just, uh, you know, maybe it was a little crazy, but I still have just, you know, a lot of respect for it. Yeah, that's that is very courageous. Did, did yeah. he know he was going to stay so long when he left? Did he, you know, make this commitment to himself, or did he just say, "Hey, I'll I'll check out Columbia for a while, and who knows how long I'll be there"? Uh, you know, I think the latter. I don't think he really had. I don't really think he had a concrete plan. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not really sure that he you know, knew how long he was going to stay for, if it was going to work out, that kind of thing. Um, you know, maybe the turning point was, I think after maybe he had been there a year or so, maybe a year and a half, he had found a piece of property up in the mountains. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just a you know very modest house with a couple acres that, you know, cost like, you know, $40,000 or something like that. And I think that once he bought the land, uh, that that sort of, you know, began to anchor him there. Um, right. Because he felt like he could, you know, build on the land and have it be somewhat self-subsisting and, you know, just a, you know, kind of a kind of his own, you know, private sanctuary. So well, once he bought the property and, and started to build on the property, I think that that was, uh, that, that's ultimately what kept him there. And, you know, when you see the movie, you kind of see what, what it looks like today. And it's just, you know, just a gorgeous piece of land. Wow. Was it his? Was it basically his savings from his career that allowed him to? Yeah, essentially, essentially was his savings. So you know he had, um, you know he had just you know kind of worked and you know done his practice and had always been you know pretty you know pretty frugal I guess um, for lack of a better word and you know it's your your finances go a lot further down there. I mean he did when he first moved there and he started getting into photography. I mean he did work. Um, you know, like for clients and that kind of thing. So he would be bouncing around from, you know, from doing client job to client job to client job. But once kind of the, the nature photography, the insect photography really started, he, you know, kind of completely abandoned any, any, kind of, any type of client aspirations um, in the photography world and really just solely focused on, um, you know, finding, discovering, photographing just these, you know, these beautiful creatures. Wow, that's that's cool. Um, yeah. So let, let's let's talk about you just a little bit then. Uh, okay. Let, let, let's go back to to childhood. Like, what were your interests there? And then you mentioned skateboarding and snowboarding early on. Uh, how how did this end up in film? Did you always want to be a filmmaker, or or yeah, go, go back I think to the, so. the roots? I think so. You know, it's funny when I, you know, I, obviously I had a lot of kids that grew up in my generation have very similar influences. You know, Star Wars was big. I mean, I think I saw that when I was, you know, four years old or something. Um, and my dad had always taken me to films. My parents were divorced when I was very young. So, uh, you know, when I would spend weekends with my dad, it was, you know, typically going to movies and we just saw, you know, just saw everything. So I had a, a, a kind of a deep love and appreciation from the cinema early on. And I remember when I had seen Goonies in the theater. And the, the funny thing about that was like after I had come home from seeing the movie, the adventure that I wanted to go on was like writing a script and making like a film with my friends. 
Like that right. was that was how that was how I kind of like interpreted the movie for myself. So it was kind of deep seated from um, from early childhood, and then as I got interested in skateboarding, as I got interested in snowboarding, that was kind of a, a natural way for me to begin exploring with a camera, documenting my friends. Um, you know, documenting myself, that kind of thing. Just, you know, just sort of chronicling our adventures and and what we were getting into. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's that it just, you know, sort of one thing leads to another and you're just, you know, kind of gradually following following your path. Um that's great. So 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 then it it went from film uh well from from chronicling your films and, and documenting that, I mean, were you were you buying the latest camcorders and such, um, or or just grabbing what you could, or or how how did you do that? Yeah, so I uh, let's see. When I was in when I I think when I was in high school, I got my first um, I got my first like high eight uh, Sony camcorder, and so I started using that and and you know shooting snowboarding and skateboarding as as much as I could, and mm-hmm. then once I graduated from high school, I moved to uh, I ended up going to um, uh, Western State uh, College in Colorado, which is in Gunnison, and there were just a whole host of, um, you know, like, uh, you know, kind of felt like the first time, you know, kids like me who were really into skateboarding or really into snowboarding. And it just was that perfect, um, you know, kind of, you know, co- you know, collision of ideas and like-minded individuals, you know, getting together to, you know, kind of, you know, share and document our activities. So, you know, I met, um, a, you know, a lot of kids that eventually became pro snowboarders and po- sponsored snowboarders, um, you know, other photographers, other filmmakers, uh, that kind of thing. So once I moved there, it, it's like, I think maybe I lived in Colorado for a year before I, you know, before I made my first snowboard film that I, that I actually sold, was able to find a distributor and sell copies to Europe and Japan and Canada and here. Um, so it, it didn't seem like it took wow. very long. Yeah, it didn't seem like it took very long. Like I, yeah. you know, but I was I was in with the right group of people. So we were all kind of like you know doing the same thing and all and all sort of progressing together in our you know in our respective interests. So uh, so it felt like a very natural um, you know type of progression. Did you did you at the time? consider this as a possible career track or or was it just fun and you're going to planning on being an, an accountant or, or what yeah no like I never I never thought I, I was never thinking of some kind of like safe job I was always thinking that I was going to make a career you know filming um, I you know it's it took a long time for me to kind of graduate from, you know, from sort of like, you know, going from shooting sports to shooting, you know, music and other, you know, you know, other commercial work and that kind of thing to actually, you know, kind of biting the bullet and, and going off on my own and and starting to make features. But Mm -hmm. I think that in the back of my mind, I always knew that that was where I was going to end up. Um, I just, but I also knew that, I had so much to learn. Um, it wasn't like I could go and shoot a bunch of snowboard videos and that I was going to move to California and automatically, you know, I'm going to be making some feature film. You know, I didn't have 
experience with actors. I didn't have experience on set. I didn't have a lot of the, um, you know, technical know-how that I needed. Um, mm-hmm. So, I, so I at least, you know, kind of knew for myself that okay, I'm I'm going to have to sort of work at this and you know, meet the right people, work in the right um, circumstances before I'm going to be able to go about, you know, making making a feature film because I, I, I knew that it was an involved process. I might have not known just how involved it was, uh, mm-hmm. but I also knew that there was no way that I was going to do it until I got some, you know, real practical, you know, working experience under my belt. So after doing... You know, I think I did about five, you know, five skateboard, snowboard videos and was living in Colorado. And then, you know, right around, you know, at the end of 1999, I moved to California. And my cousin uh, was working for, um, I think he was working for Michael Keaton at the time. And so him and I moved in together and I just kind of, you know, gradually, you know, kind of made my way onto sets and, you know, started meeting, you know, started meeting people and that type of thing. And, uh, and, and oddly enough, I had my, my last skateboard video that I did, which was called Ghetto Blaster. It was like a, like a team skateboard video. Um, it had <laughs> gotten into a film festival in, in Park City, this, this film festival called X Dance. And mm-hmm. it was the first year that they had done it. They, it was, it wasn't a part of Sundance, but it was running, you know, just like Slam Dance. It's running in Park City. It's, you know, finding venues, and it was an action sport, um, you know, film festival, kind of like the first of its kind. And one of the guys who was a partner in that was this guy named Kevin Kerslake, and Kevin um, and I kind of immediately hit it off, and he said, oh, you know, I want you to, you know, I definitely want you to work with me in California. Um, And little did I kind of know what his resume was, but he had been – a huge music video director um, in the 90s. He had done a ton of Nirvana and Red Hot Chili Peppers and Helmet and Filter and Mazzy Star and R.E.M. and all these incredible artists. So it was like what better person to, you know, kind of really begin to learn the production side. Um, right. And obviously, you know, he saw in me the same kind of, I think the same kind of spark that probably, you know, he had, you know, maybe 10 years previously or what have you. So it was, you know, kind of a kindred connection there. And that really kind of helped me to, you know, get my feet wet and, you know, kind of get an in on, you know, actually making, you know, getting experience, but also making money. Because um, a lot of people have a very difficult time you know, just sort of getting in the door and knowing people that like, you know, work in the industry and that kind of thing. So that was, uh, that, that was a tremendous, um, you know, tremendous help for when I first moved to California. Wow. That's, that's, that's great. So, so in the meantime, then when you were in California, were you just working odd jobs? Were you trying to sell more stuff of your other videos or? Yeah, I was mostly odd jobs. I mean, in the very beginning, it was, you know, still selling, you know, some of my, um, you know, snowboard, skateboard stuff, but really those have like a one year shelf life. So, you know, once, you know, once, you know, it's very seasonal things. So people just kind of like want the next. And, you know, the reality was is that I think if I had wanted to make a career in, um, you know, snowboard filmmaking, that kind of thing, I, I probably could have done so. But the reality was is that I love snowboarding too much. I sort of wanted that for myself. 
Um, right. And I didn't want to like, I didn't want to have to, I didn't want to have to like, you know, have it only be work when I was doing it. Um, so, so ultimately it was like, all right, well, I'm going to keep that as my own sort of activity, my own, you know, my own hobby that I love to do. And I'm going to really go out and work. And it was, I mean, it was just so many odd jobs. I mean, I, you know, I did a little bit of, you know, production assistant work, um, you know, but I've done everything from editing, camera operating, producing, directing. Um, you know, I've been an extra before on, like, you know, on TV shows. I was like a, I, I mean, I was a skateboarder on a, like a, like a skateboarder stand-in on a soap opera. Like, you know, I just did whatever I could to, you know, really just be able to pay, you know, be able to pay the bills. Um, right. when, I, when I first when I first moved there, and then as as my relationship sort of um, developed and evolved with Kevin, and I, I really started meeting a lot of people through him, and then also like working with him. So jobs became a little bit more steady. I started doing like a lot of live events, um, a lot of live music, um, more commercial work, more music video work, and you know once that kind of happened, you you you. You know, once the phone stops ringing, it, it really, you know, it, or once the phone starts ringing, it really, you know, it's that that's sometimes all the inertia that you need um, mm-hmm. to, you know, to go forward and to start to um, make contacts and make a career. So um, here's a question about music videos. I've wondered <laughs> when when I mean, who is there? Somebody writing the? Is it like a little movie or? You know, sometimes some of the videos have nothing to do with the song. Some are literal. Um, can you tell me just a little bit more, you know, behind the scenes of of how like <laughs> does some of these yeah. videos happen? Yeah, how how they work. Um, well, a lot of I mean, most of the time, though. I mean, I didn't know this. I didn't know this either before before I I had uh, you know kind of done it. But a lot of the times, uh, music. If 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 an artist is on a big label they will actually send out their single that they want to shoot a video on to um, to agencies that have directors on their roster. And then directors, usually, you know, anywhere from, you know, like five to 20 directors will then submit treatments. And treatments are anywhere from like one to three page, you know, kind of ideas. Sometimes they have photo, like reference photos involved. Sometimes they don't about, you know, what the, you know, what their idea for this video is going to be. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it just kind of goes through the label and goes through the artist as a selection process. And they kind of, they pick their, they pick their favorite or they pick their favorite that can operate within the budgetary, um, you know, w- within the budgetary guidelines that they have. So, that's typically, you know, how it how it works. And so a lot of times, you know, people, you know, tons of treatments get written that nothing ever happens with. But, you know, with somebody like Kevin, he, because he had such a great track record and he's directed a couple hundred music videos, um, you know, oftentimes he would write a video for a band that he had, you know, directed a video for them before. And they're like, oh, we like this idea. We love Kevin. We're going to do, you know, we're going to do it with Ke- We're going to do it with Kevin. So, right. I, and I think I think every director is different in terms of what inspires them. I mean, it's kind of like when you read. I mean, that's what's so wonderful about novels is that you you know you read a novel and and your interpretation of it might be very different than my interpretation of it. It's like they're mm-hmm. the same words on the page, but how we formulate those words into images in our mind are going to be different just depending on our life experience. So right. it's, it's the same. It's the same with like you know with a, with a song. 
you know, what kind of images get conjured up by, by various directors. And, you know, that's, uh, so it's, so it's a very, it's very kind of cool medium, if you will. Oh, yeah. That's cool. So, so did you ever at any of these points worry about getting pigeonholed into any, you know, specific track? Um, were you worried that people would only see you as the music video guy or, you know, before that, the skateboard, snowboard video guy. Yeah, you know, actually, I, I didn't, um, I didn't worry about it too much, to be honest. The, I, I actually thought that I was sort of the opposite. That I was almost, my worries were more the fact that I wasn't specific enough to a type of, to a type of genre or to a type of. Um, you know, it's uh, like I've I've worn so many different hats, and I've done things that are that are really across the spectrum, from live music to television to music to you know commercials and you know things for the web and you know like little mm -hmm. you know little like you know two minute like industrial things that I almost felt like my I was spread too thin that I didn't have enough of a concentration in one type of area that if I needed to fall back on something. I would have that. Um, right. So, so it's, I mean, and the reason I did that is I always try to, I mean, sometimes it's just whenever, wherever the work comes from, you know, that's, that's one part of it. The other part of it is that I, I really wanted to try and get as much experience in a lot of different, um, in a lot of different venues and avenues as possible because mm -hmm. I felt that not only would I meet more people, but that I would also, you're just going to learn. You're going to learn more through doing that. Um, so, I mean, I even had, like, a few jobs where I was, you know, behind the scenes. And typically, I never really liked shooting behind the scenes. But when I would take those behind-the-scenes jobs, I would try and take behind-the-scenes jobs where I was shadowing, um, you know, directors that I had respect for. So I, I was able to get on, like, a couple of different um, feature films. Like, I got on uh, Talheb, which was directed by Alan Ball, um, who ended up, you know, he wrote American Beauty, and he did, um, you know, he he was he created True Blood. And so I, I was able to shadow him for, you know, for a week on set. And then I also shadowed um, Antoine Fuqua on set of The Shooter. And... Those are really valuable experiences because even though you know you're kind of a you're kind of the, the stepchild when you are um, when you're a behind the scenes shooter, it's like the crew doesn't like having you there, and you know mm -hmm. it's it's you know the, everyone's sort of like wisest person you know filming us and that kind of thing. So <laughs> right. you kind of you kind of it, it makes you sort of feel like a little icky in a way, but <laughs> at the same time there's a lot of value in it because you can you can be right next to the director and you can you're seeing exactly what they're doing and i'm thinking in my head like oh my god i would have never have thought of that or wow if i was going to do that maybe i would do it a little bit differently um and, and you just you just learn so much almost through osmosis um yeah. in, in those circumstances that they are incredibly valuable um you know i i think that the before i started making before i before i made went out and made my first feature which was dear sidewalk 
for the five years before that, I was really concentrated on live music. And I think maybe I, I, I kind of was getting frustrated with it and feeling a little bit of that pigeonhole, like, why am I only doing this? I mean, it was sort of my breadwinner, but I'm like, you know what? I, I moved out here to make films and, and it's really, it's, it's time. Like I need mm-hmm. to, I need to kind of, you know, graduate and, and, you know, take the steps necessary to make that happen. Um, that's that's uh that's really good like i don't know that everybody always has that clear uh of a path in front of them mm-hmm. Is, mm-hmm. is there i mean is is there any way that you are able to kind of i don't know get that clarity or do you is it just kind of your aspect of hey i know what i want in the long run i'm just going to adjust as things go yeah, I I mean I think it's really it's it's kind of like to each his own in a way. Um mm-hmm. my circumstances were um I mean, you know, like I said, I, I knew from an early age and then but you know, as we get older, you know, sometimes we fall into um we fall into routines or patterns or, you know, certain types of comfort level. And when I was doing the music thing, I think I I, I, I don't want to say I got complacent, but I definitely got somewhat comfortable doing it. And then about five years ago, I blew my shoulder out snowboarding. And I had actually just purchased, like, a brand-new camera package that was, like, really expensive. And all of a sudden, I have this camera package, and I'm unable to work for, like, six months. And I lost a lot of money as a result of that. Um, But ultimately, it was the good thing because when it happened, I I just was able to take take a, you know, step back and go, you know what? it is time. Like it is time for me to start making films. Like maybe I should have done this earlier, but like, I'm finally ready. Like I know I'm ready. I've, I've met enough people. I know enough, you know, let's, let's go ahead and, and, and make it happen. And I was going to make a short film. And then about, um, I'm talking to my cousin about, you know, the short film that I want to make. And, you know, he had been sort of like helping me with it. He's like, well, let me send you this script and read it and, you know, tell me what you think. And he sent me the script for Dear Sidewalk and I read it and I was like, yeah, I think we can make this. I think we can make this for, for pretty cheap. And, and it was, I mean, literally from the time that I read the script, it's like I was on set, you know, doing the film, you know, 14 months later, 15 months later, something like that. Wow. So it it happened it happened it happened pretty it happened pretty quickly. Um Can, but I'd also been able to save money as a result of all the work that I had done over the years and you know now that I was injured and I I couldn't kind of go back to you know being a camera operator and that kind of thing. I was like, "All right, well this seems like the perfect the perfect set of circumstances to go ahead and do this now." Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. So, so can you can you share a little light um, on? Now, I know you did a Kickstarter for learning to see, and, and we'll talk mm-hmm. we'll talk about that. But with with Dear Sidewalk, how does the funding go with that? I mean, leading up then those fourteen months from the time you read the script till till when you're you're shooting, what what happens in that time? Yeah, it's it's really I mean in the independent film world it's it's a really it's kind of like I mean it's crazy. Um you I explain it to like I'll tell people about it and they're just like wow that's that's nuts and the reality is is that when you're working independently, you know, there's there's no financiers that know who you are yet. You haven't made a film yet. 
So it's like you kind of almost have to, like, violate every rule that's put into place. <laughs> and you know that you're violating the rules when you're doing it, but you don't have any other choice. And so right. when I say that, it's like, you know, the first rule is is that you should have enough money to be able to execute and market the film properly. And we definitely did not have that. So it was it was myself and my cousin basically like putting in the bulk of the money and then and then we went out to like, you know, friends and family essentially. That's how it kind of got started. And so when we uh, I remember we shot the film in Austin, and we left for Austin on April 4th of 2012. And before we drove down there, we didn't have a crew. We didn't have a place to live. We didn't have any locations. We only had our three principal actors, and we had about $60,000. And by May 14th, we started filming. So literally like five weeks later we started filming and our budget was like 150. So in in that like five week period of time we we cast all of the rest of our actors, we got our crew, we got our locations, we found a place to live, um, and we came up with the other you know ninety thousand dollars. So wow. it was just this like crazy whirlwind, you know, on the phone hustling, stressing, not sleeping. You know, kind of like the whole, you know, just just the whole the whole thing, you know, kind of went down like that. And like you said, you violate a lot of rules, but you violate the rules because you have to. Um, it because nobody is really going to give you, nobody else is going to give you a shot. Um, and I also think that in violating the rules, you understand what rule, what rules you can break and what mm -hmm. rules you absolutely have to adhere to. Right. Well, it's, it sounds like, I mean, so it's, it sounds uh, it's, like this uh, is, <laughs> are it's, you there? It's wild. Yes, it's wild. <laughs> so, I mean, it sounds like, though, the key there is you decide you're doing it, right? It wasn't, yes. well, if we can find 150 k and all the actors will do it. It's like, no, we're doing it, and... And we're going to figure out what – we'll figure everything out as we go, even if we have to yeah. break a few rules. Yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Like, and I think, that, I think that if you were to talk to just about any independent um, filmmaker, that's, that's what they do. Um, they, they, like, no matter what, they are going to make the film, and it doesn't matter who says no, what stands in the way – um, you know, that's what you're going to do. And, you know, the numbers in film are, are really crazy. Of, of first-time – people that are first-time filmmakers, 80% never make a second film. Um, oh. of, of all the films that are made, only less than 1% get picked up for distribution or at the very least even break even, let alone make money. So it is extremely difficult to do, and it can be – um, you know, very disheartening, very depressing um, a lot of times, but you have to, I mean, I mean, obviously you have to love it because if you don't love it, there's, you, you have no business uh, doing it. it. You know, it just doesn't make sense. There's plenty of other things that you can go out and make money and be creative and not have this insane amount of overhead. Um, <laughs> right. But yeah, that was kind of, 
that was the mentality is, you know, like, uh, this is, this is what I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do. And, and it doesn't, nothing's going to kind of stand in our way. Um, this is what we, you know, this is what we're destined for. So does, so does, does film then become your, your passion? I mean, do you end up, you know, putting off romantic relationships at the time? Do you, you know, or, or, or <laughs> um, how does that, how does that work? Like, well, uh, so, so I'm, I'm, so yeah, so I'm, I'm married. I, I've been, uh, I'm, you know, kind of coming up on my, on my uh, one year anniversary. And, oh, congratulations. Um, my thank you. And my, my, um, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, she was, you know, she was with me during all of this, and. You know, she's an artist as well, so she's a singer and songwriter. So I think that, you know, she had a really um, – we, we understand each other very well in terms of knowing that, you know, it's never easy and you make a lot of sacrifices and it's never going to be um, – you know, the, the path is never straight. You know, it's, it's, it's windy and there's a lot of, um, you know, treacherous obstacles in your way, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. So, but it was really helpful to, you know, kind of have the experience, um, you know, with her and her, you know, helping. So I've, I've kind of helped her in, in, you know, all of her music, you know, projects, whether it's, you know, shooting a music video or shooting a sort of subject doc or, you know, going What's... and taking photo, you know, going and taking photos of her. Um, and she has done the same thing for me. So when it comes to the film or, you know, some of my client jobs and that kind of thing. She's always there, you know, helping me out with release forms and, um, you know, writing music and that kind of thing. So it's, um, you know, we have a very, you know, a very kind of close relationship with one another in an artistic way as opposed to, you know, just being, you know, at at that point it was just boyfriend-girlfriend, but, you know, now obviously we're married. Right, yeah. So that that sounds like a really close partnership almost you guys can yeah, lean on each other absolutely. that's all um what 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 what's her name we can check out her, uh, music. her yeah her her name um her name is alexia it's a l i x c i a um she has a she has an album out on she's just finishing up her i think it's her 7th album right now but uh her previous band was called miss moxie and miss moxie it's it's m s M O X I E is available on iTunes. You can, you know, you can download her album there. And then she also, um, she wrote the ending credit song for learning to see, um, which is really, it's, it's just really beautiful. It's one of the best pieces that she's ever, ever written. And you can actually, um, the name of the song is called all of it. And you can, uh, you can listen to that on SoundCloud. Sweet. Yeah. Check that out. Um, absolutely. And so, so, uh, dear sidewalk, uh, how did how did that fare then? Oh, it was a rough road. Um, it was a rough road. I, you know, we were actually able to secure some amazing acting talent, and um, you know, the the problem that the the problem that we had was was sort of twofold. Is that one, we didn't have the money to shoot to shoot the script out in its entirety. Uh, so what ended up happening is that a lot of the things that I really loved about the script were, which were sort of these, um, you know, dream sequences and uh, look into the, the, the main character 
we weren't we just didn't have the money to do that stuff so we ended up shooting um after we got back from austin and we edited the film and we got like our you know kind of like our first cut of the film uh we ended up shooting pickups in la and the pickups we actually ended up having to write um you know to just get the to get the story to flow together because when we left austin we probably only had about 70 percent of the film in the can or 75 percent of the film in the can so we had to shoot scenes that would ultimately like make the film work and um the film worked i mean it actually it's it's like it's a it's a nice cute romantic comedy um Mm -hmm. but the problem that we had is that you know we were able to finish and then we just had no money so we had no money for any kind of marketing marketing. and and that's really you know that that's i think that you know filmmakers fall into this trap where Hey, if I make a good film, it'll just rise for the rise to the top, you know, and and you know people will be able to see it. And that's not the reality. I mean, the reality is that there is so much more so now than ever. There's so much um, competition and there's so much noise out there in the landscape that even if you have a good film, it is hard to have it stand out and get noticed. You have to have marketing money. You can't wait for a distributor to come in and market the film for you. You have to market the film just so you can be on the radar of distributors and film festivals and and potential fans. So mm. we didn't have that and that was that was probably like one of the biggest um you know learning experiences for me going, okay, the next time I do this, I have to have money for that stuff. Right. Um, because I don't want to spend all this time and all this money and do all this hard work and have and all these other people doing hard work. I mean, you have actors giving great performances and all this type of thing that you know you want you want it to be seen for them just as much as you do for yourself. So you know when I when I started to do learning to see, I I knew that I was going to make sure that I had money allocated to finish the film the right way, how I wanted it to be done that I could bring the right people on board and that ultimately I could have money set aside for, for doing marketing that, you know, it, get, it gets out into the world and has a voice because yeah. if you don't, if you're not thinking about the marketing aspect, there's really, I mean, what's the point? Like I'm not, I'm not making this stuff for my friends and my family. Like I'm making it so that I can connect with audiences and ultimately, you know, have a career. So it's uh you know, that was a, that was a hard lesson. Um, we ended up actually putting it out ourselves. You can you can get Dear Sidewalk. It's on iTunes, Google Play. Um, you know you can. It's on Vimeo. It's on like Emgo. Um, a bunch of other. It's on Amazon. So you, you know there are a lot of platforms where you can you can get the movie. But you know just not having the marketing. It's uh, it's a shame because I just feel like it's a it's a sweet movie that just not a lot of people have you know that know about or have the opportunity to see. Right. Well, um, who knows? Maybe it will like become a slow, you know, burn. Yes, that's uh, that's the I world. Sort of feel that way. Yeah, no, I feel that way too. And also, you know, with with film, if you have if you have a successful film, people will then go back and look at your right. older work. Yeah. Um, so that's that's something important to notice. I mean, you know, I, I Jeff Nichols has a film out right now called Midnight Special that I actually got to see when I was at South by Southwest, and I've been a you know I was a fan of Mud and I was a fan of of Take Shelter, but even previous to Take Shelter, he did this film called Shotgun Stories. It's like it's a great film, Michael Shannon, and and you know not a lot of people have seen that film, but now because he's really kind of 
you know, breaking into the mainstream and, you know, people are really starting to take notice of his work. You know, it's like film people knew, but now it's like, you know, regular, you know, everyday audiences now know who the guy is and what he's capable of, that they will now go back and like look at, you know, those, those early films that are, that are extraordinary, you know, it's still extraordinary work, um, you know, given, you know, the budget parameters and all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's sort of the hope that down the road, um, it can have, it can have more legs than it does now. Yeah. Right. Um, well, let, let's talk about then learning to see. So it showed in South by Southwest. What yeah. what happens? What happens next? And how you you did a Kickstarter with this one? Um, uh-huh. You've been working on it since about 2006 or so. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so what? And and you've gone to Columbia multiple times. Tell us just a little bit more about making the film, and then what's what space you're in right now, and and what's next for it. Okay. Um, so. Really, like, it, in the beginning, it was just sort of chipping away. So, you know, in the first, like, few years, it was I would go, you know, my dad would be visiting, like, his parents in Florida, and I would go down there, and I'd shoot an interview with him. And then, you know, a couple of years later, he's like, oh, you know, I'm going to take this trip to, you know, the rainforest in the south of the country, and, you know, why don't you, uh, why don't you come down? And I'm just like, oh, great, you know, like, here's, here's dad, you know, inviting me on a trip, and I get to document, you know, him doing what he's doing. So, you know, I did that, uh, I did that, you know, a few times um, and was, you know, kind of just, you know, gradually accumulating um, some footage. And then it was, you know, probably once I had actually started working on Deer Sidewalk, I, I was also thinking about, you know, this film, uh, thinking about learning to see and, and how I could kind of get it off the ground. So that's where Kickstarter kind of came into play. Um, my wife and I, uh, you know, she was, she really spearheaded it. Um, you know, it was, I mean, it, it is a full-time job. It's like anyone who does mm-hmm. Kickstarter, it's like, I, I recommend, you know, do your due diligence, like research it, understand, um, you know, what your, you know, what your markers are in terms of how much funding you're looking to get, because it's extremely difficult to raise money on a social platform like that. Mm-hmm. So, we were able to raise we raised about twenty six thousand five hundred dollars our I think our goal was twenty six so we just kind of like eked over um which is what a lot of you know projects do um and that was really it it was i mean it was exactly like it was exactly that it helped us kick start the film so once we had that money, I was able to do like a big trip um with my dad to uh to peru um and I was there for about like three weeks. And then I had enough money to, like, kind of shoot, like, the first, like, eight interviews or something like that. And once I had, once I had those assets in, in, you know, like, in conjunction with the stuff that I had filmed over the years previously, I was able to, you know, kind of start to, you know, start to put an edit together. And once I had that, it's like... I could show people and that they knew that this was a reality. Like it wasn't, you know, it wasn't some guy that, you know, wanted to do a, you know, doc, you know, a family documentary about, <laughs> about, about some like expatriate or something like that. They, they start to look at it and they go, Oh, okay. Okay. I can see where this can go. Um, and so I approached, you know, some family and some friends of family for private equity funding and was mm-hmm. able to raise additional funds, um, you know, to, to get the film made. 
And fortunately, it was just like, you know, having a lot of relationships from, you know, doing my, you know, doing my past contractual work as, as well as, you know, Dear Sidewalk were able to kind of, you know, help get the film in the manner of which we were able to get it made and really happy with how it came out. And so um, I had a, one of the key ingredients that I added was um, uh, my professor at the University of Colorado when I was in school there, um, he had made a film called The Life and Times of Allen Ginsberg that had done really well and gotten, you know, worldwide distribution. And then as of more recently, he'd actually come on and produce for a documentary called Chasing Ice, which was about uh, the photographer James Baylog and um, his extreme ice survey project, which uh, was the documentation of the recession of the world's glaciers. Uh, through time-lapse photography. So here he is, you know, having just done this very successful environmental documentary about a photographer. So I showed him the material that I had, and I knew that, you know, he had connections as well as he just, you know, he's great with story. I mean, he was a teacher for 30 years and, um, you know, had done some successful films. And so once I showed him the material, he said, yeah, you know, I'll, I will – I will definitely come on board and, and help you produce this. So, so he produced, he produced with me, um, you know, my wife helped a ton and my dad was ultimately kind of amenable to me doing this. I mean, I think it, it, it took a lot of courage on his part to sort of, you know, open himself up to being the subject of, you know, like a feature documentary. I, I, I don't think it's, you know, it's not as easy as people might think that it is. Um, you know, you're really, you're really kind of exposed. And so, I, you know, I kind of take my hat off to him for allowing me to make that happen. And, you know, we finished the film uh, last, you know, I think we've, um, or not finished, but we submitted a cut to, um, you know, the festival last fall. And then in January, we got the, you know, we got the call that we had been accepted to South By. So, you know, South By is one of the, you know, kind of the, you know, top five um, premier market film festivals in the world. So it's like to have your work there in, you know, in Austin, you know, like on that stage is just incredibly helpful for the film. So we showed it to our sales reps who um, are, you know, one of the best uh, documentary sales reps in the business. And they, they had essentially took the film on and said, you know, we really like it. We like the message. Um, you know, we, we love, you know, we love the subject matter. So, uh, you know, we, we think we can, you know, help you sell this. So we went to South by, we had three sold out screenings. The reception was incredible. Like the mm -hmm. press was incredible. And, and now we're kind of like on a festival run as, you know, they're doing, they're doing their, their thing with, you know, showing it to potential distributors and, and getting feedback and seeing where it will ultimately um, land. And then in conjunction, I'm, you know, sort of, you know, beginning now to take it to film festivals. So I just got back from Washington, D.C. It was at the uh, D.C. Environmental Film Festival. And then in two weeks, I go to Nashville. And then we're out to probably like a dozen other places right now. So we're just, you know, kind of waiting for waiting for feedback and see where it will kind of play next. Because this is, you know, uh, films will typically play like about a year on the festival circuit before mm -hmm. the distributor finally releases it to a wide audience, whether it's, theatrical or if it's a television deal or if it's, you know, video on demand or what have you. I mean, there's a, a lot of different ways in which, uh, you know, the film can get, get out there to the world. Yeah. Um, in, in the meantime, then, is there somewhere that 
people can, are you posting where where these festivals will be um, on on your website or Twitter or? Yeah, yeah. So we, we use, I mean, um, you know, we, we have a ton of different, you know, social media avenues that we use. So, um, you know, my dad has um, a Flickr feed, which is Robert and Columbia. That is really just for, um, you know, his amazing photos. But then on Facebook, uh, we have. And that's Columbia with an O, right? <laughs> yeah, it's with the no. It's with the no. I know a lot of people misspell it with the U. Um, so, uh, you know, on Facebook we have um, the Learning to See Film Facebook page. There's also learningtoseefilm.com. Um, so we update those things regularly. And then I also update things on, you know, my Jake Ullman director's page on Facebook as well as my Instagram feed, which is bar photo code. Um, so there's a lot of different ways to be able to, you know, kind of like either find me or my dad or the film um, on the web. And, and, and like I said, we do a really good job of, of trying to make sure that audiences know, you know, where the film is coming. And I get requests all the time, like, oh, when is this coming to Houston? When is this coming there? I was like, I don't really know when it's coming there yet, but I will – you know, try and keep people posted, and as as film festivals, um, you know, come, or or if we have like you know special one-off screenings, whether it's you know through educational um, venues or what have you, like we we really try to keep people um, in the loop with all that stuff because uh, ultimately the audience is the most important word of mouth with a with a film like this is is gold. Yeah. Great. Um, well, uh, just just one more question then for yes. you, um, and I'll put those links in the in the you know the notes, the uh, podcast notes, and all of that, so people can find them. Um, I, the last question is really, uh, what is your advice to anybody that is looking to to get into film? You know, maybe even if they've started later in life or, or whatever, is it simply mm-hmm. um, give up, don't do it, or yeah, no, I, I mean, I wouldn't say give up, don't do it. I, I would just say you absolutely, you ha- like unequivocally, you have to love it, and you have to love the subject matter of what you want to tell a story about. And the reason you have to love it is because it is just, it's just too hard. Um, it's, it costs a lot of money, and you just, you hit a lot of roadblocks, and there's a lot of noise that you have to cut through. So you you really you really have to love it. Like you know, don't don't do it because you want to be famous. Don't do it because you know you want money. Because really, those that's just a smokescreen. Those things don't really exist. I mean, you know, a lot of people will see famous people, and then what they don't realize is a lot of times those people had to work hard for fifteen, twenty years sometimes before they ever got a break, before they ever got noticed. They just kept working at it because they loved it. Um, and that's and that's really really important, um, especially for especially for young filmmakers. I think that that's that, that's really important. I think as you get older, you really find you know the the things that interest you the most. And if you and if you're uber passionate about something, I, I think that you're going to understand that you know nothing is easy in life, and you're willing to climb that mountain. But sometimes with younger people, I think that they can be a little bit complacent or think or, or think that things are just going to fall into their lap and. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just it's really really hard work and uh and I'm glad that I've sort of had as as difficult of a road as I have had to kind of get to where I am because 
I really, really appreciate it. Um, and, 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 and I know how hard it is to sort of like, you know, get to the next level from here. So it's, uh, you know, just, just, I would just say, you know, stay at it and, and make sure you love it. Be passionate, you know, um, love what you do. That's, 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 that's the key. All right. I, I, I agree. I think that sounds great. I appreciate it. Uh, Jake Ullman, everybody. Um, the film is Learning to See, and uh, I look forward to, to getting a chance to watch it. And, um, and I think I'll go download uh, Deer Sidewalk from Awesome. Awesome. Well, th thank you, Dallas. I appreciate it, and I appreciate uh, all listeners tuning in. And, um, yeah, uh, you all, I hope everybody has a great day, and uh, get out there and be creative. <laughs> great. Thanks, Jake. Bye. All right, great. Thanks, Dallas. Bye.